Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I am so happy that you're here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about many things to do with parenting and motherhood and explore the joys and challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to share more about aware parenting, to inspire us all on our parenting adventures, and to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. I really am so excited to be sharing with you a workshop that I'm hosting for Dr. Aletha Salter on discipline without punishments or rewards. This four-hour online workshop will be taking place on Sunday the 30th of July at 10 o'clock in the morning Australian Eastern Standard Time. And this four-hour workshop will be an incredibly exciting opportunity to hear this from Dr. Salter herself. The last time Dr. Salter presented in Australia was in 2008. And since she has started doing online workshops, this is the first time that she will be presenting this workshop at a time that is friendly for those of us in this Australian time zone. Come and listen to her sharing her expertise and profound wisdom and knowledge on this topic. We will be covering the pitfalls of punishments and rewards, the techniques of democratic discipline, and how to change unwanted behavior in our children by meeting their needs, by solving behavior problems caused by stress and trauma. It is an incredible opportunity, and I'm so, so looking forward to it. If you would like to learn more, the link is now live on my website and I will put it in the show notes too. And I would really welcome you signing up as soon as possible because the places will be limited to just 24 spots. I would love you to come and join us. If you have any questions, let me know. Now I'll get on with the episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. And today I'm really, really excited to be talking to Yael Greenberg. Hi, Yael. Thanks so much for making time to come and talk to us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So Yael Greenberg is a child psychologist, a Montessori educator and mother to one beautiful son. She supports parents in changing and shifting family dynamics by translating children's behavior in order to have their emotional and developmental needs met. What beautiful work you do. So, so important. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And I'd love to start by just asking you, how did you find yourself doing this work? How did you discover that there is a different way to, to raise children? Mm. So my courageous mother, she's probably where it all started. I've been in Montessori education my whole life. So from the age of three through to 18, I was Montessori educated. And that was really the invitation. My mum didn't really know what she was looking for. But she just knew when she saw something that that wasn't it. So it's not like she was so conscious about her journey and in the way that she didn't, she couldn't put names to it. And still to this day, she'll do stuff and I'll say, oh, you're doing this and this. And she's like, I have no idea. She just is just fiercely intuitive. So that's, that's how we got into this world. And the school that we happened to land up in 
in WA, it's called the Kingsley Montessori School, still going strong today, was run by the most incredible woman called um, Wilhelmina Dyker, who was trained by Maria Montessori herself. So by the time I started school, uh, Mrs. Dyker was already, you know, a mature woman. And as I became older and our school was so small and intimate, we could speak with her and I could see that my parents were so into the philosophical aspect of the school. So that became something that I was aware of while I was in the school and I would speak openly to the teachers and to Mrs. Dyker and she actually lived like her house was attached to the school. So I used to go out to school and have a cup of tea with her and ask her and she was also an incredible pottery artist and I was just fascinated by her understanding of Montessori's philosophy, which was a little bit different to how the rest of the world saw Montessori. And that was the Montessori peace movement. It was the global view, the universal view. And so she really was the one who sparked that uh, inspiration in me to see the world and to see how radical education can be and the way that it impacts the peace in the world and that what we do within these little four walls is not just our business, it's everybody's business. And so, yeah, I started to, I kept saying to her, I was about 16, I said, I want to be a Montessori teacher. And she said, no, it's not the right time. And eventually when I was 18 years old, I went straight into studying and started doing the practical elements of it. And while I was in the classroom, I started to interact more with parents and that's where I was really like, oh, par- parents don't even really know what we're doing here or they don't, like there was, I realised that there were so many different reasons why parents chose the school and it wasn't because I thought they knew the weight of what it is that we do within the school walls and they, they actually didn't know. So then it became very clear that when they take the children home and they're dealing with the children in the same way that we are, you know, the same emotional stuff would come up, obviously even more complex than what we were seeing. There was a gap between what we're doing and what they're doing is not the same and that was to the detriment of the child. And by the time I was really teaching, Mrs Dyker was too old to be at the school. She was moved to an old age home. But when she was there and when I was a student, she would actually ask parents to leave the school if she saw that the gap was really not to the benefit of the child. But by the time I was teaching and our school was like becoming really popular and growing and, you know, formally registered, it wasn't this tiny little school on the top of the hill anymore. We couldn't do that, obviously. (laughs) We couldn't tell people to go, but we could support them and educate them and try and offer them more insight, more understanding. And that was really when I decided that I I was going to need to learn how to speak to parents because I was met with a lot of resistance. And I was like, surely there's some kind of like psychological technique here (laughs) to try and get the parents to see what it is that we're talking about and that we're supporting them and they don't have to bring their own stuff to the conversation. So that led me to study psychology and counselling. Yeah, and then as I was getting into it more and more and I was like, okay, so Montessori is great. There's a whole massive institution that's been going for hundreds of years and that's going great, so I don't need to be there. But in the parenting world, this is really hectic. (laughs) You know, there's a lot of very interesting things that people are doing and that is being scientifically backed up somehow. That makes no sense to me because in Montessori training, actually there's a huge psychological element there. And she talks about natural laws of development and links in what we see unfold within the development of the human brain to natural events that happen all around us. So it's like 
that's all the proof that we needed. But I was like, but no one understands that. And they're all just writing papers or learning how to research or learning how to read reports or write reports. And I felt like, okay, that's great. And that was obviously missing in my study, but still there's another gap here. (laughs) So in the last 10 or so years, maybe even 15, there's been a massive shift in the parenting world and with social media, of course, exploding and all this information at our fingertips. But at the beginning of that journey, that's how I really, that where there wasn't so much. And you, if you were reading a parenting book, it was like, you know, that wasn't just what to expect when expecting. It was something a little bit different, or there was a philosophical element there, or, you know, even a spiritual element to, to what it meant to raise children. It was really different. So one aspect that Montessori writing and philosophy does so well is that it makes everything practical. So it's about making principles practical. So I basically made it my job to pull from the reading that was around me and that was available and to make these principles that seem vast and abstract really practical for parents so that when a child is doing A, B and C, the parents actually know what to do and say. And it doesn't mean that they need to read books or that they need to, you know, have a degree in this work, but they can actually just access and reclaim that part or that natural development within themselves that would lead them to confidently meet their children's needs and actually see and understand what it is that they're observing in their children. So, yeah. That's a lot of words, but that that's that's kind of it in a nutshell. It was a, it was a real going around in a big circle and ending back up here. And in my psychological work, I pretty much use all Montessori's principles in the way that we set up homes, in the language that we use, and it's they're so basic, so basic that when I share them with parents, a lot of the time they feel like, yeah, I already knew that which is what I'm trying to say. Yes, that's what it feels like, the reclamation of something that is already within you. That's what it feels like. You you feel like I already knew that because, yes, you do. It's a part of you. You've unfolded just the same way that your child has. So we need to feel confident about being able to meet our children's needs. Thank you so much for sharing that story. It's really, really beautiful. And what I was really touched by the impact of, first of all, your mother and her fierce, awesome, intuitive approach to raising children. And then that inspiration that you got from your teacher who who obviously saw the world in a really different way. And I loved that. And then it's really clear that gap as you as you were describing it between what what parents often know deeply inside. And yet what they have almost forgotten and what they lose touch with as a result of all the other things in our culture, all the other noise, big, loud noise that's going on around us. And I loved how you're you're talking about bridging that gap and that you did this training so that you were able to to support parents so that the world could be can can be different. I mean, it's really powerful and hugely impactful work that you're doing because you're almost translating basically these principles that you deeply resonate with and that really made so much sense to you into practical strategies that parents can use to actually support their children in a way that is nourishing, effective and and beautiful and loving and all those other things. It's just so powerful. And I love that sense that you describe about the reclamation for parents from what what they truly know often. 
to then what they are practicing. And I'd love to know a bit about how how things changed for you in this regard when you became a parent yourself, because of course it's it's so easy for us to be advising parents and then we suddenly become a parent and we're like, ah, okay. Uh, so I'd love to know how you brought this in with your own son and and a bit about that process if you're willing to share. Of course, yeah. Yeah, it was absolutely one of those moments where I did the work for, for a while before Zev was born. And even in choosing a partner and choosing a parent, like, you know, sometimes this knowledge or information can really weigh you down because it's like I'd prefer just not to know and to be able to go into the world and just go with the flow very easily. But now uh, uh, understanding the weight of it, the impact of it was really like, oh, gosh, how am I going to, who's going to father a child with me like this? And in a really roundabout, funny, beautiful, magical way, of course, I found the perfect match and he is Zev's father like he is the person who's supposed to be Zev's father even more so than he is supposed to be my partner and it's just amazing because that's what was really so important for me and then it's like there's absolutely nothing you can do to avoid the evolution of birthing yourself as a mother so all of that literally went out the window and it was like in a vault and the vault was shut And there was nothing I could do to open it until I just went through it, a little butterfly emerging. So, yeah, it was very much a lot of postpartum depletion, a lot of like physical aspects of that exhaustion and the sacrifice and the surrender that I absolutely could not fathom. Even having heard it several times, I never could embody what that felt like. And there's pros and cons to it. Like I can see. Now I I can feel it. If a parent shares that with me, I physically can feel it run through my body as they're talking to me and I will adapt everything to try and make it comfortable or I'll cry with them or I'll, you know, I just, I, I know what it is that you're talking about when you say I just can't. I know the I can't. Whereas when I didn't have that, there was a kind of strength that I offered parents that I can't give that to them now, you know, like I was so certain and I would rock up to everything, you know, fully 10 hours of sleep or eight hours of sleep and, and confident. And like, I can see it. I see this work. I know you can do it. Like, this is how you do it. A, B, C, D, we're going to do it. And now it's that that's a little bit different. So on one hand, I mean, now as I'm kind of coming to it, I'm almost five and a half years post birth and getting the sleep and I'm feeling more rejuvenated and I have time and space for myself to get everything back on track. So I'm able to offer that that strength and kind of core strength that I would give to parents in the past. And, and I still to this day, you know, especially when I consult with fathers and they look at me and they're like, oh, okay, you know, it's easy for you to say. And I remind them like, I am in the trenches with you. Like our children are the same age our children are experiencing pretty much the same thing. You know, growth happens and and it's hard. So, I, I, you know, and that feels beautiful to be able to share that experience with them, but not to when I was very much in it. In fact, I had to take a bit of time off to get through that and to really go full circle until I found myself again and then back on track. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Yeah. I love that sense of the butterfly emerging because it's such a profound and powerful process, that whole matrescence, isn't it? I mean, it's just so significant for for us and for, for our partners and for everybody, really. And, and I love that you spoke those words around that postpartum depletion and an exhaustion and surrender that is required of us to all that because it's such an incredibly 
intense thing. And and often our culture is so not set up at all to be meeting the needs of mothers and babies at all. And, and so often you provided that you know you you've you've survived the birth, your child has survived the birth. That's it. You're you're kind of off on your own. Or the only support and and information that you really have access to is stuff that doesn't resonate for you because so much of that loud noise out there is is doesn't resonate for people. So it it becomes incredibly isolating and difficult for mothers to adjust to this incredibly powerful transformation that they're going through without any of the support that we clearly evolved as, as a human species to need and to have access to. And now suddenly we find ourselves on our own in this culture, doing it without any support often. And it's just incredibly difficult. So I love that sense that you you now deeply resonate and relate to the people oh. who you work with. And I'm, I'm sure it makes a huge difference to them. Mm. Um, I'd love to ask you about how you went about applying some of what you know to your own son. And so a lot of the big challenges around, you know, meeting needs, supporting him to express himself and to be truly an authentic human in his own right and to to manage some of those challenges that we have in the beginning around yeah, when they start to individuate in, and to have tantrums and to express opinions and well, how have you navigated that process? Yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been amazing because he is such a massive character. <laughs> I love the that moment where, especially now with the phones, you know, when you look back and you see them even hours old, months old, and you realize you are the exact same person from that moment, you've always been the same person. And I didn't know who you were, you know, so there's a, there's an element of like guilt. I feel bad that I didn't know who you were. And I, now that I see how big you are as a person, life would have been really difficult for you without me knowing that and being able to meet those needs for you. So that, that's been really big, but I was very committed from the, like even, and I recently shared this, I can't remember where I shared it, but when I was about eight or nine weeks pregnant, I had some beautiful friends around me, all of them going through their own stuff. And a lot of them would share with me that their parents don't understand them and their parents were the obstacle. The parents would stop them from expressing themselves, would you know disown them, would tell them that they uh, are not happy about what it is that they're doing. And these young people would see how difficult it was for them to live life like that because all they wanted, like everyone, was that support and, and nurturing from their parents. And at that point, Deshal and I were at home and we were having the conversation after finishing a phone conversation with one of these friends that was going through a lot. And we just said, like, we're not going to, we're not going to do that. You know, you say what you think, I'm going to be this kind of parent, I'm going to be that kind of parent. But we had that moment and we said, we're not going to be a problem for this child. Whoever it is that wants to come, they get to be whoever they want to be. And I remember we called in this soul. And we said, whoever you are, if you've got big stuff to do on this planet, we're the parents for you because we know what it is that we're getting into and we want to accept you however you are and support you, however that might look. I can't remember exactly the words that we said, but there was this moment where we were like, all right, this unique person can come to us and we will be okay with that. And then he was born and from the moment they tried to swaddle him in the family centre or wherever we were, <laughs> he just, he... I don't know how a newborn baby can do this, but with his eyes, he basically said, I will not be swaddled. And so I just was like, all right, the swaddles are out. We're not swaddling him. And I remember that kind of 
how I was looked at, even though the one midwife that was with me all the way through my pregnancy, she was like one of those fierce women. She was a bit older than my mum and laboured with me for I me. Mean, she didn't labour, but with me in labour for 17 hours and didn't take a break. And she just represented me and, and was there for me the whole time. So she looked at me and she was like, no, the, the swaddles are gone. And really was like, yep, okay, that's what he's telling you. Okay. But I could see around us that there was a real, <laughs> already was like, oh, gosh, here's somebody that's like listening to their newborn baby. And it was already being received as a bit of an issue. And I remember that that made me feel like I needed to be even more staunch in the way that I, that I advocated for Zev. And he really, even though I actually didn't know the extent of how much of a character he was, I could just read him as a newborn and he didn't want to be held by other people and he didn't want to be swaddled and he needed to be on me all the time. And I became very like, no, this is this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm doing. But as I became, or as he became older, it became, there was a few moments, there were maybe, and, and actually only about a handful, like on one hand I could count the moments where it was difficult for me to meet that within him only because it caught me off guard completely. I was like, oh, this is the moment. <laughs> this is the moment where he's expressing himself and I get the opportunity to do this. And when I wasn't able to see that for what it was because of my own exhaustion or stresses and then that that was really difficult. But pretty much at every other moment in time, as long as I was able to remember, like you, I'm advocating for this child who can't speak and he's looking at me or I can feel him or whatever it is, and Deshul's very, Deshul is Zev's father, the same in, in being able to say, no, that's not, he's not comfortable here. It was, it seemed like a very, we were all just a good fit in allowing all of these kinds of ideas, philosophies, tools to, to Zev needed them and we were able to give it to, to him. And every now and again, and um, I share this, Danny and I share this with a lot of our, you know, we've got younger parents that have similar age children and we talk about this like conscious check-in with our partners and I really depend on that still to this day, five years on, where we need to touch base with our with our partners and we talk about like, oh, this is happening or I've noticed, you know, he's waking up or, you know, the sleep or the stuff that really matters that just kind of come up as life goes on week, you know, one week's like this, two weeks we're stable, the next week there's something new. If we don't check in on a regular basis we don't get access to that again, but we can, the, the, it's a vault. <laughs> it goes back to being locked up and you can't access the tools or the knowledge or the information that you know that that's there. So it's like for us to do whatever it takes in order to meet those, our own needs to check in and to stay really grounded so that we can be on the same page. But, you know, I think for the outside person and, and some of our friends have commented this to us before, like they'll say things like, you, you guys do a lot. Like no one else does this much or don't you think that you're being a little bit over the top with this? And thankfully both my mum who's like a third parent for Zev and, and Deshul don't see it as being too much because, again, like we see the impact of this on the world and and for him just even just in his own little universe for Zev, he needs us to check in all the time and meet his needs. And there's huge sacrifices, you know, where we live in a beautiful Melbourne city and there's all this stuff happening. 
And there's a lot that we don't do. There's a lot that we, yeah, we just, we're still tired because he's still sleeping with us and he still needs us in many ways. And we're just not willing to not be there. So yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to be in it and to to be able to do it alongside support, you know. And as the years have gone on through colleagues, through finding communities and parent groups that are aligned with what we see important and value as parents, that's really where the peace of mind and the stability and that nurturing comes from. Mm. And I don't think without that, I don't know if we'd be able to meet his needs as deeply as we have. Yeah, it's so important, isn't it, for us to be getting reassurance and support and uh, to be seen as well in what we're doing and the work that we're doing by others who are also on the same path. It's so important. I loved what you were sharing and I got such a strong sense of your your clarity right from, you know, before before he was even a few months in, in utero yeah. about how you wanted it to be and that you wanted to be listening to him and and there for him and supporting him and allowing him to come and be whoever he was meant to be. And that's really profound, isn't it? And I love what you were describing as well about those conscious check-ins with your partner so that you can be on the same page because it comes up so often in sessions with parents that that, that is an issue. And it's a real, really challenging thing to navigate, particularly when we often feel exhausted and you know not at our best. <laughs> so yeah, it's so important to be doing that. And I, I want to talk to you later on about what you said about the impact on the world, but I just want to go back a step as well and to to ask you a bit about your your background as a as a clinical psychologist and and the understanding that you gain through that process of of all of the theoretical learning and then all of the practical learning that you do as part of that around yeah, how we can support adults or or adolescents or anybody to, to heal from the pain and trauma that we are all inevitably going to have to face at some stage in our lives, many times for, for most of us. And how with that understanding, it is so clear about how we can support babies and young children to be healing as, as they go through life, rather than necessarily having to go to therapy as an adult. Yeah. What are your thoughts yeah. about that? Absolutely. I mean, Every single person, most of them adults, so I have a bit of a gap in who I support, either the little E's under the age of 10 or it's adults. So the gap in the middle, obviously being the teens and that, I haven't quite had the, the chance to support there. But every single adult I've ever spoken to where we're accessing or we're trying to find or we're like sieving through all the stuff, we're always being led back to early childhood. And, and again, like in Montessori's writings, she talks about, you know, because of the era that she came up in and the era that she was writing in, it had a lot to do, you know, around World War I, World War II. So she talks about war and peace. And she says that there's a, a war that is a universal war that's been going on for centuries. People continue to unwillingly, they're in this war, they don't even realize that they're in it. And after she describes it on so many layers and you think, oh gosh, what is this war? And then she says, it's the war, man the adult against man the child. And so without conscious awareness of your impact on the child and how the child then impacts your experience, we're disjointed and we can't actually fulfill our potential and, and evolve as humanity. 
And every single time I, I find it so helpful to put that into perspective because when you speak to an adult who has those experiences where we're going back into early childhood and we're acknowledging that part of the child, it can really bring you in super tightly, which it should because it's your lived experience. But it also can be like suffocating, I find, for many parents. It's like this avoiding of being able to even go there. But when we bring it back out to the macro and we're like, actually, this is a universal thing. It's the experience of everybody that somewhere along the line there's a dismissal and a disconnect in understanding how impactful in mostly a negative way for an unconscious adult to continue to be violent again. I mean, it is violent. If you're dismissing emotions, if you're not seeing a child whose entire existence depends on you, I really see that as violent. And so we're constantly being perpetrated against or we we are suffering and then we do it again. And then we don't realise what what it is that we're doing. So there's some kind of comfort in knowing the global or universal impact that, that this way of being as an adult has. And it allows us to then understand our own experience as well as change the future for the children that come into our lives, whether it's your own child, whether it's a child on the street, whether it's, you know, a crying baby on the plane. So it's not separate from the world but it is deeply, deeply personal and maybe only you can really remember that feeling of, you know, having your emotions dismissed by somebody who you depended on. So I think the connection there between early childhood experiences and adulthood, again, I can't speak for the middle, but I I know that it's the same. It is so, so impactful it is really the beginning and end is always going to come back to that that one experience of being born into the world and and yeah I think that as a psychologist you can see it so clearly once you start to notice patterns in the way the brain protects itself and the the dialogue that it tells itself in order to carry on and you see it in parents, you see it even in, say, let's say we're talking about babies, maybe babies that have gone through a very intense sleep experience with their parents. Maybe they have cried themselves to sleep and now I'm only seeing a six-year-old. So it's really, we're still in early childhood. You already see the defence mechanisms that that brain and the dialogue and the internal narrative that that child and that brain is developing in order to protect that experience. And and it is a pattern. It's very clear. And you see it in a six-year-old, in a 16-year-old, in a 26-year-old, and in a 60-year-old. It's all the same stuff. Which, which I find super interesting and, and you know, it's so nice. Once you get, you're like, oh, the brain does A, B, C, D. The brain wants efficiency. The brain wants safe, safety. You, you can see it so clearly. And sometimes I feel like, gosh, I'm just repeating myself over and over again. But actually that's all there is to it. And, like, once you see it or once the person that whoever it is that we're supporting has that aha moment, you can't unsee it. Mm. And, like, from an Indigenous worldview, once you have that aha moment, you see it, you've acknowledged it, we see that as actually like a healing of the lineage. That's it. That's all it takes. So it doesn't matter the intimate stories of the past. 
but it's an acknowledgement. So you somehow become detached from that. And even in our DNA, we see that as like a death in the DNA. It's been acknowledged because otherwise the DNA carries on. It doesn't know that it's dead. It's it's living. It's feeling that experience over and over again. Mm. So simply an acknowledgement through like the interactions that we have as supporting parents, how impactful that can be for the way life unfolds, generations, generations to come and past as well. That's amazing. Thank you for for bringing in that element. I, I loved how you were describing that. And I think it's so helpful when we can bring in that cultural perspective and that intergenerational perspective as well. And I love how you were even saying how Maria Montessori was talking about it in terms of the very profound cultural trauma that was going on at the time that she was writing and the impact that that had. But in a way, it's so simple, isn't it? Once we become aware of that and we we acknowledge that and we give some space to that and some understanding of that and our awareness to that, then that no longer needs to be something that that our children need to be burdened by. And of course, in one generation, we can't undo it all. But it's such a profound difference that we we can make in their lives. I think I'd like I want to I want a bumper sticker that says the trauma stops here. It's you know? <laughs> a good one. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's it's so incredibly profound. I, I'd love you to share then what can parents do? What are some of the practical things that, that you recommend for parents to be doing with their children as part of this process? Part of which, of course, is our own work, as you've as you've so beautifully described. That's such a fundamental part of it. How do you describe all that for parents? Yeah, I think one of the key elements is learning how to observe your child. You know, just do less, say less. Before I was allowed to observe a child in our training, like I said, a Mrs. Diker who was trained by Maria Montessori. So her way of training Montessori teachers was quite intense and authentic and, and staunch compared to the way that it's kind of being done through like university style these days. But I had to observe birds for 250 hours before I was allowed to observe a child. And I just thought, okay, that is the respect that she has for the human being. And it's like you can't just go in and think you know what's happening until you train yourself to be able to notice tiny little differences, nuances, and notice patterns Only then, once you have that and you've gone through that feeling and experience and you've trained that clarity in your own mind, can you actually do that for children? Also, because it strips you of so much that you think that you know already. So we we don't come in with so much bias and, and look at children and assume they're manipulative, they're doing that, or they're doing that for this reason or for that reason. It it kind of leaves that at the door when you've just looked at birds for so long and you notice these little patterns and all of a sudden you come in and you realise, wow, there's so many. Like if you just watch a child, even I'm not suggesting that everyone has to go and do bird watching, although it is an amazing skill to have. But if you just were to sit in a park with a child that's not yours, if you have the opportunity to just look at children or you're in, you know, shopping and you notice a little child picking something up and when you follow them for just a few moments and you see and they're looking at this and they put that down and something's ticking over in their mind and they're on a little mission and you you start to notice that this free, autonomous, incredible being has actually so many of the skills that we want them to have and we think that they don't have, they actually have that all there. And so when we can do that with our own children, so observation really being the key here, 
What that does then, it allows you to not get your own stuff so much involved. It allows you the opportunity to be more responsive than reactive because you can see that actually children are able to do whatever they need to do and they usually are on some kind of mission for themselves. So if they're tinkering about and we've not had that ability to see where they're at, we just get like, uh, you know, some kind of big loud noise or we get to, you know, somebody knocking something off the shelf or a broken glass and we only zone in at that time, we've misunderstood what actually is happening for that child. And so our misunderstanding in those moments, that's where so many ruptures are caused. And if that's happening over and over again, several times a day, day in, day out, over the years, you can only imagine like our foundational relationship with the child is not going to be a really good one. It's really fractured. So the most effective thing I feel that you can do is to be able to observe your children so that you can have that innate knowing and trust that they're being driven by their internal development, by that life force within them, and that they are capable and that they have their own motives. And it's not just to be out against you and to piss you off and to be annoying. It has nothing to do with that. And it's also easy to make those or becomes easier to make those distinctions when they are actually just trying to get your attention, which is a brilliant thing to know because then you can give it to them. Mm. (laughs) So it's very difficult to make those distinctions. And the assumption usually comes from, well, it's my child and the intuition and I'm, you know, they're a part of me and I'm a part of them. But I feel like when we only hold that perspective, we don't see the child for who they are. And we take ownership over that. And the ownership actually comes back to hurt us because it's praise and it's blame when actually none of that has anything to do with you. The child just comes through you. The Khalil Gibran, his beautiful, that that poem of, you know, the child comes through you and they're not of you. But we can't see that distinction when we just give birth and we take ownership and we want acquisition. It's my child and I made them like this. But then it's also the weight of that is too hard and it's so not accurate. So we get all these little like frictions between the parent and child and the relationship and makes parenting very difficult. Mm. So observation gives you that ability to step out and to see it for what it really is. I really love that description. And often parents get quite caught up in the, you know, what do I say? What words should I use? And 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 there is a lot of importance in the words that we use, of course, that, you know, I'm not dismissing that by any means, but I love that advice to just do less and to say less and just to observe your child in, in the moment. And then you start to recognize, like you said, those nuances, those patterns. And this is what I love about aware parenting is that it's just, it's attuned parenting. I mean, that's, that's the most important aspect of it in, in, so many ways and that allows us to to see our children's innate unique individuality and to see them like you say to see their goodness to see their competence uh, and to be able to trust them and i love that distinction you're making between us then being able to be responsive to them rather than being reactive to them which is just such a fundamentally huge thing when we're when we're trying to parent differently and i love what you're talking about as well around uh, prioritizing our relationship with our children which i think is so much more important than than anything else because from a solid foundation and a close connected relationship anything is possible and it's also deeply nourishing and yummy and joyful for us and for our kids to have that 
And I love what you're talking about, about seeing the uniqueness in each child. And the other distinction I love what you made is between attention-seeking and connection-seeking behavior in our children, because so often in our culture, it says, oh, they're just attention-seeking. Or And actually, when we can see that instead, as, as they're seeking a connection because that's what they truly need in that moment. And how awesome and amazing. What a great thing that they're doing. It's not that they're being annoying. It's that they want connection. And when we give them that everything's back again. Everything's back to good again. So I loved how you described that. Of course, in order for us to do all this work, we need to be doing our work, don't we? Because how do we not go into those patterns and and end up reactive? And of course, we all do, no matter how much work we've done, no matter how much we want it to be different. How have you navigated that process? So what what, what are you willing to share about that, you, you doing your own work so that you're more able to be this parent that you so deeply want to be? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just even knowing that, like, I can't give, I can't pour from an empty cup. You know, I can't give what I don't have. It's just like a simple statement like that is really the beginning of it. Like often even saying that to a parent, you can see on their face, they're like, oh, I've never thought about that before. Of like, yeah, like they can feel that something's off. But it's like, actually, we can talk about all of these wonderful techniques. And if you are not full and your capacity is not there and you have not acknowledged what's going on in your internal world there is just no way that you can show up for your children in this in this way so really you should be at the top of the list and ideally if you could do that or at least start the journey pre-babies it's magnificent if not the babies will lead you there because that's evolution (laughs) so so that's where it goes. But I think, you know, anywhere you can, seeking support, the connection, the, you know, I think for mothers also, like like with Deshul, he sees this incredible psychotherapist once a month. When Zev was younger, he would see him more frequently. And it's profound in the way that that's impacted our family and our life. And not until Deshul caught himself kind of reacting in a way that he knows has nothing to do with us but is directly what his parents did to him was he able to say all right I definitely need to talk to somebody about this which was amazing because that wouldn't have happened if Zev hadn't have had that you know ability to reflect that back to him but for a mother I feel like not only do you have to now talk about that internal stuff and and whatever you feel like the impact or maybe if you consciously know I don't want to repeat what happened to me or I'm choosing to do something differently or I don't agree with the way that my childhood looked. So we do that work in terms of talk therapy and, and that's great and supportive. But the physical aspect of being reborn is massive and I feel like that's been obviously because I had the conscious talk therapy stuff, like access to that at my fingertips all the time. But personally, the biggest shift for me and having to seek out the deeper support came really through what it felt like to physically change and be reborn as a different person. Now I'm a mother. And what does my body need? And I feel like that for women, even when your births are absolutely magnificent, there's still um, a, a taxation from having carried this child or multiple children and then breastfeeding and then the sleep deprivation. And so physically your body is calling you in to make changes and to acknowledge your your physical body so much more than ever before. And again, like you're talking about that dominant noisy culture and all the noise that's there that kind of 
distracts us from what is really actually happening and the portal to transformation that is really now open and available to you. We don't get to do that if we get caught up with, you know, the bounce back kind of culture. So I found that that I understand that obviously now more deeply post giving birth to my own child. And there's been a handful of things that I absolutely swear by and I now share with everybody. (laughs) One of them is uh, craniosacral therapy with an osteo. Started craniosacral therapy because I had a feeling that it would be good for some of the children that I support. And I thought, well, I can't say that to them unless I've really experienced it because I don't know. So I connected with my online mother's group and I knew that there was some practitioners there and they said, yeah, come in and let's give it a go. And of course it was for me, it had nothing to do with the children. I mean, I have sent many children there, but that whole thing, I know now that that was like a little moment for me to actually have that shift. And it it felt like there was a baby moving inside me. And of course there's no baby there, but that's how it was like renovating my insides. And I've never experienced anything like that. So like, Talk therapy could never do that. So it's there's multiple layers to the way that we need to make that shift within ourselves as parents. So, yeah, so there's been a cranio work, supplementation, and really understanding what that looks like. Magnesium, D, zinc, all of these things that our body needs so deeply. CBD oil was transformational for me as well because I developed like a sleep anxiety when we moved here. So that shook him up a little bit. And I just wouldn't sleep because I was so anxious of having to be woken up, exhausted. So I would just stay awake. And so CBD oil really restored that for me and brought balance back into my sleep. And that was just a short period of time. And then it heals you and then it's over and you can move away from it, unlike other medications. And still to this day, it's about connection and community. And that maintains that. And, and also I do in the work that I do, I always say, you know, when I'm redundant and I know that I've done a good job here because I don't want you to have to talk to me forever unless you want to. That's something different. So when there's something that calls you in and says that you're going to have to come back and come back and come back, much like with our children, if we're saying the same thing, then maybe we're all the only thing that we're shifting is our volume. You know, that's your cue that it's not effective. It's not working. So I really feel that the transformation postpartum is forever, 100%. But if we are really meeting the needs that we have and if we are really kind of pinpointing the thing that needs that is calling our attention, the feeling should be instantaneous in that it shifts for you and the way that you show up in the world. And the same even with our children, you know, the majority of the texts or the emails that I get back from parents is like, I couldn't believe it was so quick. Because we feel that when there's like a an obstacle in the way that we're parenting, that there's an issue and a problem. But it's not all about issues and problems and labeling those. It's about something being amiss. It's like when you take a flower and you realize, oh, this one's not supposed to be in the sun, you bring it inside and everything's back to normal again. So the science is in the seed, right? We all have that. We're no different to any other natural form. So as soon as we meet that need with our children or within ourselves, we should automatically just start to feel better and more aligned and more balanced. So in the way that we maintain that now post kind of big transitional things is simply through community, connection, support, beautiful nourishing relationships. Mm, I love that answer. Thank you so much. I think it's really, really helpful because 
So often when we want to parent our children differently in these kind of ways, we start off by thinking it's all about the child and then slowly, slowly we start to realize actually it's all about us and doing our work and it's such a fundamental part of it. And then people say, okay, so how, what, where, where do I start? How do I go? And I love that your answer was so holistic because I think there are so many different elements of it and it, it's different for all of us. But I think as you were saying, starting with that, becoming aware of our needs and and our capacity and finding ways to tend to to that is such a fundamental place to start and then there's all the other pieces that you bring in around our our internal world and and having spaces and places for us to be getting support and listening and therapy whatever that looks like which is you know finding whatever works for you is is different for everybody and then yeah asking for support is another big one because often many of us grew up knowing that it wasn't safe to ask for help or that we would be punished or shamed or, or you know, there, there's some reason why it's not safe. So unlearning all that in order to then be able to get support is a really huge process. I love that you brought in the physical aspect as well around, particularly for mothers, that massive physical toll that growing a child, birthing a child, feeding a child, and then nurturing a child takes on our bodies and the need for us to find ways, again, that align for us and that resonate for us to meet those physical needs to, to I loved how you say it was renovating your body. I mean, that's really <laughs> what we all need to undertake. And and yeah, the, the need as well for, for connection, for community, it's just so crucial for all of us. We can't be doing this work on our own. We need to be having spaces where where we feel like we have others who understand others who are on board others who can support us and sometimes that's like practical support someone to come and cook dinner when you're having a really hard time or somebody to look after your child for a few hours and sometimes that's just emotional support and understanding and acknowledgement so that is so so big and the only thing I would add into that that I really love to support parents with is around learning the language of self-compassion because I, I think that's so important in this healing process because so many of us go into self-judgment, self-criticism, harshness, comparison, all that stuff that's that's part of our story, where we've come from, and it's external voices that we then internalize. And, and really shifting that is such a huge part of being able to offer that compassionate support and listening to our children. So, you know, thank you. That was a beautiful, beautiful, very holistic and helpful answer for people. I'm aware of the time and I'm just wondering if there's anything else that we haven't spoken about that you would love to share that you think it's important for, for parents to understand. I think really the only thing I could just say is that we do know, we do know what to do. And it's just that feeling of reminding parents that you can be confident. And just when something doesn't quite feel right, that that's just an invitation. It it doesn't mean that you've done something wrong. Uh, I love the idea of children being the ones to invite us to do all of this. You know, it's opportunities and invitations. So that feeling of you do know, and it is somebody that might be able to just support you in the direction of remember this, or have a look over here, or you actually could do this, or you are the one, all we need is just more of you, and that will just fix the problem. 
that it really is something that meeting our children's needs and having deep and meaningful connections with our family and our children is something that every single person is capable of doing. So wherever you need to go and whatever you need to do to remind yourself of that, do more of that. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think it's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the more that we can empower parents to tune into their own expertise, their own intuition, their own knowing about their own children, it, it's got incredibly powerful implications culturally and, and you know for the whole of humanity, actually. And I loved that sense that we can just trust our children to be inviting us to do this work and to and, and trusting the process. That's really beautiful. So how can people find out about you, Yale? Where do you share your stuff? How could people get hold of you if they wanted to work with you? Thank you, Jess. Um, so I mainly stay in touch with everybody via Instagram. It seems to be the place to be at the moment and the easiest place for people to find me. So it's LLCR dot parenting dot specialist on Instagram. And I have all of my details there in terms of emails and phone numbers. And I really just invite everybody to reach out and have a chat. And there's just no harm in whatsoever in just seeing and having a quick 15 minute chat to see if we align and if we can work together. Because yeah, I my predominant work at the moment is workshopping kind of specific topics and ideas and supporting families over periods of time. So if you're experiencing birth to the age of three, there's a chunk of work that needs to be done there from three to six. There's a chunk of work that needs to be done there. And so, yeah, wherever you're at, if you feel like you want to understand more deeply what's happening developmentally for your children and all the other stuff that we just spoke about here, yeah, that's that's where I'm at and what I love to talk about. Beautiful. I'll put those links in the in the show description. Thank you. And the last thing I always ask my guests is if you could go back to the beginning of parenthood yourself with something that you deeply know to be true and that you really, really value now knowing, and what would you say to that person right at the beginning of it all? Well, probably that, yeah, it's not about me. It's not about me and that everything's going to be okay because (laughs) Zev knows exactly what he needs to do in order to grow and evolve and develop to his fullest potential. And it's not really about me. So I can just relax and be okay and focus on the other things, which was literally myself. (laughs) Yeah, I think, I think that would be it. I mean, there's probably many other things that I could say there, but yeah, that's probably it. I love that. Thank you. It's such a beautiful message, isn't it? You can just relax. It's all going to be okay. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Oh, I've so enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for making time to come and talk to us all and to share your wisdom and knowledge about everything. And I look forward to having another conversation with you later, somewhere else. So much, somewhere else, maybe in person. (laughs) Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures. Mm -hmm.